One Wednesday night when I was a youth minister, one of our students brought a friend to class. And I've never been great at remembering the names of people that I meet at church, just because there's usually a lot going on, and so names have a tendency to kind of go in one ear and out the other if I'm not really kind of focused and, and intentional about it. And so I go and I introduce myself to this new student, and I say, hi, my name's Warren. She says, hi, my name is Muno. And I immediately thought to myself, okay, this is a name I can remember. Uh, Isley was a big fan of, of the show Yo Gabba Gabba at the time, on which there is a character named Muno. And I mean, Muno is just not a name that you hear all that often, right? And so I thought, okay, I can do this. This is a name I can remember, Muno. Got it. So a few weeks go by. And, and then a few weeks later, on a Wednesday night, this student of ours shows up to the church building with a friend. And I, I see them walk in, and I thought, all right, here we go. This is my chance. <laughs> I can do this. And so I walk up to him, and I say, oh, hey, you know, good to see y'all. It's Muno, right? And, <laughs> and as she gave me this puzzled look, I, I instantly and memorably learned a very, va very valuable lesson. And that is that you never guess that someone's name is Muno. <laughs> if you call someone Muno, it's best to be 100% sure that that is actually their name. That's just free life advice. Uh, names are interesting things. Research shows that, that our names can can have an effect on, on how we view others, on how we view ourselves, and even on the profession that we end up choosing. There's lots of research that has been done in all of those areas. We won't get into any of it this morning, but it's fascinating if you want to go look some of it up on your own. Not right now. You can do it later. Uh, in Jewish culture, dating back to the Old Testament and, and continuing on to today, names have significant meaning. They are believed to, to capture a person's essence, and they are seen as, as the key to a person's soul. In Jewish culture, parents are even considered to be engaging in, in minor prophecy when they choose a name for their child, because it's believed that their name points to that child's destiny. There's an idea that, that their name will, will influence their, their path, their behavior, the choices that they end up making in life. And a Jewish name then paints a picture of a life's calling and a life's potential. And so there's this thought amongst some Jewish teaching that, that when you die, one of the most prominent or prevalent questions that you'll be asked as you enter into the next life is, what is your name? And did you live up to it? Because a name tells the story of the mission that a family envisions for that child. So that brings us then to Genesis 17. We're going to read the first 16 verses uh, of this chapter here in just a minute. But before we do, uh, I want to make a quick side note about God's name that he uses for himself at the very beginning of this passage. Uh, remember, names are going to be important throughout this passage. And when God begins to speak, he refers to himself as 
God Almighty. At least that's how it's translated in the NIV. The Hebrew name there is El Shaddai. And this is the first time in Scripture that that we hear or that we see this name for God. It's going to come up repeatedly after this, but this is the first time that we hear it in Scripture. And it's a name for God that connotes the the ever-present, the all-powerful, and the sustaining nature of God. And so you can imagine how that would have been an appropriate title or name for Abraham and Sarah, or at this point still Abram and Sarai, to hear as they have been in this long period of waiting. So let's read this together. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down. And God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations. I will make you very fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan, where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give you as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. Then God said to Abraham, As for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you, for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You are to undergo circumcision, and it will be the sign of the covenant between me and you. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old must be circumcised, including those born in your household or bought with money from a foreigner, those who are not your offspring. Whether born in your household or bought with your money, they must be circumcised. My covenant in your flesh is to be an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who has not been circumcised in the flesh will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. God also said to Abraham, As for Sarai your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah. I will bless her and will surely give her and will surely give you a son by her. I will bless her so that she will be the mother of nations. Kings of people will come from her. Okay, so there's a lot that that we could get into there. Certainly there's a lot of repetition. There's a lot of descendants and generations to come and and repetition of of the promises between Abraham and, and Sarah. But we also hear in there this 
this confirmation of the covenant that, that God made with Abram back a couple of chapters earlier in Genesis 15 that we looked at last week. And, and there are two things that he does here in conjunction with, with this covenant that he is making with Abraham. One, he gives Abraham a sign of the covenant that Abraham and his descendants are to keep. This sign will serve as a continuing reminder of, of God's presence and relationship and partnership with this nation that will become known as Israel. But it will, it will also be a reminder of, of the commitment that all of these people, all the subsequent generations that will come after Abraham and Abraham himself, as a reminder of a commitment that they are making to God to serve and to love and to follow him. And then God also changes Abram and Sarai's names to Abraham and Sarah. So Abram, which means exalted father, becomes Abraham, which means father of a multitude. Sarai, which means my princess, becomes Sarah, which, me, which means mother of nations. In changing their names, God is, is bestowing on Abraham and Sarah a new mission, a new calling, a new vocation. He is setting their lives on a new track. He is calling them to transformation, to, to be something they have not previously been in order to partner with God in bringing about his imagined future in this covenant relationship. And what happens with, with the spelling of their names is, is interesting as well. You can basically see this in, in the English spellings of their names where the letter H is added to each name in the middle of, of Abraham and then, of course, at the end of, of Sarah. Well, in Hebrew, it's, it's sort of similar in that one letter is added to the middle of Abraham's name. The other letters are the same. There's just one letter that's added, and it is the letter Hey, or at least as we would say, Hey. For Sarah, one letter is replaced with a new letter at the end of her name, and the new letter is this same letter Hey. And so it seems like maybe there's there's some significance in this one letter being added to both of their names. Certainly there's, there's connection between what their names become and the meaning of them, but it seems that there's something to this, this letter and some significance to this letter that is being added to their names. And Hebrew letters, the, uh, all of them carry all kinds of, of meaning and numeric value and, and imagery and, and connotations and, and, and many other things. And, and, and with some of them, including this one, there's some mystery behind that, and, and different teachers and, and, and groups and rabbis may have kind of different imagery or, or meanings that they associate with those letters. Uh, but this letter, at least by some, is, is said to symbolize or speak to the concepts of breath or spirit. And so to many, it is often connected with God's spirit or with the breath of God. 
So in changing their names and, and entering into a covenant partnership with Abraham and Sarah, you could picture it as God breathing his spirit into their lives and into their very names as he ordains them for this mission. And what's great about this is that God changes his name too. Uh, not only is this the, the first time that, that God refers to himself as El Shaddai, but going forward from this, God will be known as the God of Abraham. And so God even attaches his own name and his own identi identity to Abraham. He becomes identifiable in connection to Abraham. And you can hear that in some of his words earlier, that, that he will be a God of Abraham and of his descendants and of his people. And this idea of exchanging names would have been another common component of a covenant-making ceremony. That when two people or, or two tribes cut a covenant, when they made a covenant with each other, it was common to, to take on part of the name of the other party to, to symbolize the transformation that was taking place, to symbolize, uh, again, the weight of what was taking place, as we talked about last week, and to, to draw attention to this idea that, that each individual, each party, was, was assuming a new mission and identity as, as a part of this new relationship. And to bring it back again to the covenant of marriage, that's something we often find in marriage ceremonies, right? That oftentimes the two individuals who are entering into this, this covenant of marriage will, will share a last name, that they'll, they'll take on the last name of one of the individuals to, to point out or to draw attention to this newfound purpose and identity that they now share as one couple instead of as two individuals. So, in the ancient world, a person's identity and, and destiny were strongly tied to what their name was, strongly tied to what they were known as. And the name changes for Abraham and Sarah both point to their relationship with God and the new identity they now embody as a result of their covenant relationship with him. And to go with all of that, God gives them then a sign of the covenant by which they are to remember their part of the covenant relationship. For us, in the new covenant, we also take on new identity in Christ. In Galatians 3, Paul writes, In Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to his promise. 
according to the promise. So our identity is tied to God. We are his children. We're connected to him as, as part of our identity when we are in Christ. And our new identity in Christ supersedes, Paul says, any other designation or, or identity or defining mark that we could have. Any such division or, or thing that would, would serve to divide us amongst each other is, is done away with when we come into covenant relationship with Christ. And as such, as we come into covenant relationship with each other. We too then are, are filled with God's Spirit, as Paul continues later in Galatians. This is in chapter 4. Because you are his sons, God sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts. And so in this covenant relationship, in this new covenant, we are given a new identity in Christ. And, and we are filled with, with his Spirit that, that now takes root in our hearts, which is, again, something we've talked about that's been prophesied for, for generations since the time of the prophets in the Old Testament, that God has been saying, there will come a time when, when my law will be written on the hearts of my people, when I will dwell within my people. And so now that time has come in full in Jesus. And then we also have a sign of the covenant. Uh, we, we could say that we have multiple signs of the covenant, but I think it is, it is our faith that, that serves maybe as the overarching sign. Uh, there are certainly other signs that we could point to, things like our baptism or the Lord's Supper, communion come readily to mind. But even those two things are tied directly back to our faith. Our baptism serves as, as an expression of our faith, and and our sharing in, in communion serves as, as a proclamation of our faith. And all of those things, both of those things are, are done because of, of God's love for us, because of Christ's love for us, and because of our love for him. Both of those things are, are tied to our faith in him. And so connected to that, as we continue in, in sort of this broad overview of Galatians, here's what Paul says in Galatians 5. Through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness, righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value meaning uh, they don't have, it doesn't have value as a way of achieving righteousness. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. So in Christ, God has given us a new identity. He has given us his spirit to dwell within us. And the sign of our covenant is faith expressing itself in love which is embodied in things like our baptism and in our sharing of communion, both of which serve as, as reminders not only of what Christ has done for us, but what we have committed to Christ in the giving over of ourselves to him. As we prepare then to share in, in communion this morning, 
I want to read a compilation of words from Romans 3 and, and Colossians 2 that I think really bring a lot of this together. Again, as I said last week, we're kind of in this, this three-Sunday stretch of, of looking at the hope of the covenant and, and the hope that we have in, in covenant relationship with Jesus. And, and I think going back and looking at some of this, this, this history and some of the language that, that God uses with Abraham and Sarah and, and kind of coming to understand a little bit more about covenants breathes some new life into some of these words. And so this morning, may these words fill your heart and your soul with strength. And may your time in communion uh, be filled with, with meaning and purpose and hope this morning. And may we all be encouraged that, that even as we wait in these strange times, may we be encouraged that we can find strength in the everlasting God, El Shaddai, the God of, of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and the God of, of you and of me, in whom we are all made new, given new life and given hope. So may God breathe life into each of us today, and may we consider the ways in which we can express our faith in love this week as a sign of our covenant relationship with him. I'll read, these, I'll read these words, after which we will pray our prayer of confession together and then share in a time of, of communion and meditation. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Christ Jesus to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement, through the shedding of his blood, to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time, so as to be just, and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus." Where then is boasting? It is excluded. Because of what law? The law that requires works? No, because of the law that requires faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too. Since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. So then, just as you received Christ as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, 
and overflowing with thankfulness. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And so may we celebrate the hope, the forgiveness that we have in Christ this morning as we share in this communion meal together. We confess to each other and to you, our Creator, that we fall short of being what we were created to be and what we have committed ourselves to be. Hear Hear us, us, forgive forgive us, us, renew our our resolve to build the the kingdom kingdom of Christ. Christ. We often seek out the easiest paths, paths of least involvement in places where we might be uncomfortable or paths of self-centeredness. Hear Hear us, us, forgive us, us, renew renew our resolve to build the kingdom kingdom of righteousness. We confess that we have not loved you with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. Bring us out of darkness, Lord, and into the light of your love. Hear Hear us, us, forgive forgive us, us, renew renew our resolve to build the kingdom kingdom of light. Forgive us for getting so caught up in the world's trappings and its false messages of hope that we lose sight of the hope of the kingdom, which brings healing and peace to a world in turmoil. Hear Hear us, us, forgive forgive us, us, renew renew our resolve to build the kingdom kingdom of peace. May we resolve to become more kingdom-minded, to be peacemakers here and now. Amen. Amen.